Hey everybody, it's Jeremy, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Memory Vox. Hope everybody's doing well. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, today's episode, I'm sure most people would probably be able to guess if you know me, is going to be paying homage to the late, great Eddie Van Halen. And, uh, you know, for those who may not know, um, but I don't know how you couldn't, um, this week we uh, lost Eddie uh, to his battle with throat cancer. And, uh, you know, for me, um, I'm going to jump right into this, guys. Um, this is, I've been working really hard on trying to put this particular episode together and 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 choose my words correctly because I really want to honor uh, what um, Eddie meant to me and uh, just how wonderful of a of a musician he was and I really want to paint that picture over the next few minutes um, so you know I, I feel like I, I had le- legit lost a member of my musical family. Um, when I first heard Van Halen, I was 10. And I distinctly remember the very first Van Halen song I, I ever heard. I was, like I said, 10 years old. I was playing in an uh, apartment complex with some friends of mine from school. And their dad was the uh, property manager, and they lived on on site there. And uh, we uh, were kind of goofing around, and he had this golf cart. And so he was driving around checking on some things, and we were hanging out with him. And uh, I was really good friends with his daughter. And even at the age of 10, you know, trying to impress some little girl, I'm sure, um, he was blaring his music and stuff, and uh, Running With The Devil came on, and uh, that still ranks up there highly as one of my favorites uh, Van Halen songs. But uh, Running With The Devil came on, and I just remember uh, legit being mesmerized, listening to the song, listening to Eddie, you know, shred, uh, play his riff in the middle of the song. I mean, just the whole thing. I went back and I asked my dad, you know, tell me a little bit more about it. And uh, he, you know, this is about 1984 comes out. He's like, well, you really need to hear, you know, this particular song. And uh, we listened for uh, Panama. Uh, and and that was, again, just mind-blowing to me, the uh, level of creativity and 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 how awesome it sounded. And since then I've been hooked. And uh, of all the uh, music that I enjoy listening to and all all my favorite bands or what I may be listening to or uh, what I considered the best, um, Van Halen is hands down number one. Uh, there is none higher. To me, um, you know, I'm a huge, you know, Dave Grohl fan and I'm a big, you know, a fan of many of the classics, but at the end of the day, if I had it my way, I would be listening to Van Halen. So, um, you know, 
if you haven't had a chance to listen to a lot of the stories that have been being told or you're just not sure just how important he was to music and or just how great he was you know consider this i live in the middle of the country in a small little town in iowa well we're not too small but a decently small town in iowa and the minute that the story broke every um radio station and news outlet in this area mind you in this little town in iowa had posted about the story and the loss of it and i think that says a lot about what eddie meant to the music community um one of the most talented gifted musicians ever um you know considering he was self-taught you know what people fail to remember is is that he grew up playing the piano and and even won some piano um you know what is it like awards and stuff when he was like six um but he never knew how to read music he just always learned how to play it he would sit and listen to Bach and Mozart and then mimic it until he got it right and it just shows that 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 part of the brain that just really clicks in and it, it really just it, it took off from there and when he finally decided to learn guitar his older brother was um playing drums because they had got him a drum set and he was playing um wipeout on the drums and eddie was just like transfixed and he was like i want to i want to do this and so he picked up a guitar so he could play with alex and started to figure out the the chord progression and keep in mind he'd never touched a guitar till this point and musically speaking i don't know how much of a difference there is going from a piano to a guitar but to pick it up and within hours be able to do the little riff from wipeout is, is pretty amazing and, and and from there that's just it, it goes on from there um You know, as a musician, uh, like I said, to to not ever to uh, to not have been able to ever read music, to only just listen and learn how to play it, it is quite an amazing feat. And I, I once heard him say in a in a interview that he was so poor, growing up, and why he was learning to play the guitar, that his signature finger tapping. And what he was able to do with a guitar was all just him trying to figure out a way to make this instrument do more than anybody else has ever done. And it was his constant practicing and his constant um, need to get better that it, you know took him to the next level of heights. In, in the pantheon of guitar players, I mean, there are several, and you could argue for days and days as to who is the best guitar player of all time um you know eddie learned from listening to eric clapton growing up um you know and eric clapton um obviously played alongside the greats of like Jimi hendrix and of course you know i have a brother-in-law who's a huge Jimi hendrix fan and he would probably say hendrix is for me and my particular generation it was eddie and Eddie took guitar playing to the next level.
And as a matter of fact, he changed the way that most rock guitar uh, artists played the, the instrument from here on out. Uh, you know, you'll notice um, if you listen back to some of the 80s rock and roll music and the hair, man, hair bands, that's when you started to get those uh, mid-song guitar, um, you know, solos. Um, you know, Eddie's, Eddie started that. And then, you know, it became so cool and so unique that every guitarist wanted to have their solo in the middle of guitar. And it really shows up in some of those 80s hair bands like your, you know, your Poison or your Motley Cruz or whatever. Um, as I said, you know, he was so gifted musically. Um, and his first love was always piano. That's what his mom taught him. That's what he learned playing growing up. Um, and he was always very partial to um, the piano. And, you know, he, being this rock legend, he's going through the circuit uh, in California before they even have a, an, a record deal yet. And he is still playing the guitar and he's playing around with keyboards and synthesizers and the record laborers are, are telling him no this isn't going to work you know nobody wants to come to a rock show to listen to a synthesizer and and eddie being this the songwriter and composer that he is was like i i can make this sound amazing and people will like it and he kept getting the pushback from record labels and record labels and it wasn't till finally on the 1984 album when, you know, on the beginning of Jump, when he first finally brings in the synthesizer um, and keyboards and starts playing that beginning of Jump. And, and that was his proving point. He was able to take that and show the record label, you know, listen to how this can sound and listen to how amazing this is and people will love it and sure enough they did 1984 is still one of their top selling albums of all times and ranks up there as probably one of easily the top 10 albums ever in rock um you know going back to people like i mean it's up there with like the beatles and it's up there with like led zeppelin 4 i mean it ranks up there highly so um you know, and like I said, his love, his first love was always piano, you know, and coming from being a Dutch American and, you know, his favorite obviously was uh, Mozart, uh, hence why he ends up naming his uh, first and only child Wolfgang. Um, his, his, he was a true composer in the sense of he wanted to make everything sound good and sound a certain way and in his head it was an orchestra of of both lyrics and music and his guitar and the drums and the bass essentially it kind of ended up becoming his downfall as i always like to tell everybody you know eddie didn't always you know play well with others and to to that to consider you know his name was the band obviously and he was the reason people went to see the the band and being that he was the main singer songwriter or not singer but songwriter and composer of the melodies and the music he took it very personally 
and wanted to make it sound good, you know. Um, the funny thing was is that though history has shown that he went through several different lead singers, everybody still wanted to work with him. Yes, he was difficult to work with at times because he was such a perfectionist, but it didn't stop people from wanting to work with him. And anybody who knows me knows that my favorite um, little go-to when I'm ever talking about Van Halen and Eddie in particular is, for those of you that don't know, I mean, I don't know, if you're a fan of music, I'm sure you do know this, uh, but I don't want to assume otherwise. You know, the song Beat It by Michael Jackson, in the middle of the song, the guitar riff is Eddie. And how that all came about was, you know, he was basically kind of friends with Michael, They, you know, being, you know, famous superstars in the 80s. And, you know, Quincy Jones asked Eddie to come in and do a guitar riff. But he didn't honestly think that it was going to work with the song. But he wanted to try it. And, you know, Eddie being Eddie came in and he wasn't just content with just doing a little riff. He was helping compose the song and he he encouraged Quincy to get the guitarist from Toto to do kind of the backing guitar that you hear throughout the song going up to that point and and helped you know musically get that song to what it is which ended up being pretty much one of the number one songs ever next to thriller goes down in lore as one of the most popular songs that you know michael jackson ever did and the thing about it was is that eddie didn't want to get any recognition for it he did not allow Michael and Quincy to put his name even in the sh in the liner notes. He just wanted to do it because he wanted to do something for his friend Michael. And he even decided he wasn't going to take payment for it. And to think about that for a second, you have one of the most successful songs ever to be put out that probably made millions of dollars for Michael Jackson. And if Eddie would have gotten any bit of royalties for that, he would have never had to work again. But he didn't want the recognition for it, and he never once took a penny from Michael or Quincy, and still to this day does not earn royalties on the Beat It song. Um, and, and that's a testament to just him just wanting to do something for the fun of doing it and being able to sit with Quincy and do something for Michael and put together this piece. And and stories like that over the years is why other artists always wanted to work with Eddie as well. Um, you had everybody from, you know, Jimmy Page, you had LL Cool J, you had several different genres and artists of people who really wanted to work with Eddie. And he was always called the grinning guitarist because I think, as I said earlier, even though he probably was difficult to work with in a sense because of his perfectionism, he was always happy doing what he was doing um, and, and always 
treated everybody with respect and and that's why right now for the last you know few days if you haven't been on twitter or or facebook you 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 should go on and just see the amount of people that are paying their respects not just musicians but actors and artists and just people that have come across them in the past so so yeah so that's my that's my ramblings of just how important and how much you know I appreciated listening to Eddie Van Halen and and, and Van Halen as a whole um you know and I hope you guys can appreciate my ramblings a little bit like I said this has been hard for me to put together and and I was thinking about it really hard like why why has this been so hard for me to talk about it's not like I know Eddie it's not like we ever met um it's not like he knows me from a hole in the ground but to me like I said I, I lost a part of my musical family but more importantly being as that I'm 46 years old now I'm at that age where when you start to see these deaths and there's been a lot of them recently but the ones that really affect you are the ones that got you through your childhood and got you through difficult moments in your life or that you it's like taking you know get a little nerdy here it's like in Harry Potter where they take the thoughts out of your head and they put them away and losing Eddie kind of felt like that to me it's like somebody took that out of my head and put it away and and that's the sad part is it's kind of that um, mortality issue of me being 46 years old which I know is still young but seeing them seeing the horizon of the eventual of what's to come sometimes can be a lot um you know the OU812 was my favorite album and I want to get this out of the way right now for the people who keep saying I know are you a David Lee Roth fan are you a Sammy Hagar fan I was a Van Halen fan like I said, I started listening to them when I was 10 years old. It's no joke. I listened to them all the way up until the very end. I even owned at one point in time the Gary Sharon album, which was not very good, but I still bought it because I was loyal to my group. And here's what I like to tell people about um, the Hagar versus, you know, David Lee Roth. Think of it, I always think of it this way. Eddie and David were the high school sweethearts. I think of it like a relationship. They knew each other since high school. They were in love and they were going through their lives and never thought they'd be with anybody else. And they produced this kid, which is the band. And the whole time, they're both, you know, going through the motions and enjoying each other's company. And they can't imagine each other without one another. But on the side, David's kind of cheating. And he's not being faithful to Eddie. And so eventually what comes around is Eddie has to get rid of him. And he's at a low point. And he's thinking that he's never going to be in a relationship again and do this band again. And along comes Sammy, the older, 
the next guy in, the newest stepdad, you know, if you will. He's older. He's been married himself once or twice and is looking to settle down again. And he comes across this wonderful relationship with Eddie. And what what Hagar brings to Van Halen is is two things. One, and Eddie had admitted this before they had their falling out, was that he brought some calm to Eddie's life. Um, convinced them that they didn't need to be doing all of the drugs and the drinking. It was still going on a little bit, but it was a lot more toned down. He brought him to a sobriety level and and showed him that if he didn't stop, he wasn't going he was going to be that next person, that next twenty seven age group of rockers who died way before their time. And Hagar was able to bring Eddie down and enjoy life and enjoy the music. And, you know, Eddie even said, you know, if it, by becoming sober and, and getting through those hard times with Sammy, he was able to enjoy his marriage to Valerie and he was able to enjoy watching his son grow up. And, you know... I think he would have missed out on a lot if he would have stayed on that path with David. So that's my take on the Van Halen situation. I particularly loved both. The second thing, which, by the way, as I was rambling, I totally forgot to mention, was he also brought Van Halen its only Grammy. They only won the Grammy one time, and it was for the Four Unlawful Carnal Knowledge um, CD. But I digress. If you had to ask me which was my favorite, I would say Hagar. And my favorite album of all times was OU812. And that particular album, or in this case, cassette, got me through two years of high school. I got that cassette when I first started going to high school in Colorado. And I had to walk to and from my apartment roughly a mile each day and I had a Walkman for those of you who don't know what that is you know Google it um, it was the original way to listen to music before streaming and I got the cassette for OU812 because my favorite song of all times was uh, When It's Love I love the beginning uh, piano synthesizer and I love just love the song in general it's my number one favorite Van Halen song of all times um, and I, I had it down to where I would listen to When It's Love as I took off walking to school. It took me usually about 15 minutes. I would flip the cassette over after When It's Love was over. I would uh, rewind it a little bit, and I knew just exactly when to rewind it, and that would put me at the beginning of one of my other favorite songs, Finish, when, finish What You Started, which was a bluesy guitar riff that Eddie had come up with and and was on that OU812 soundtrack. So I've listened to those two songs pretty much back to back, over and over to and from school nearly every day for two years. So um, went through several different cassettes. <laughs> I think I owned probably three because I, I wore each and every one of them out. I now still own the CD and if ever I can find the vinyl, I'm buying it. 
I mean, minus not being like, you know, hundreds of dollars. So, yeah. So if, if anybody ever corners me and asks me what my favorite is, that's my favorite. But, um, I try never to pick any because it's like choosing your favorite child and I would never do that. I love every specific song that they've done and I can tell you a little, you know, what it is I like about each one depending on what it is, you know. Like I said, in, in Jump, you have the the beginnings of when Eddie's finally allowed to, you know, start playing with the synthesizer and start playing with the pianos, you know, and you know you have eruption which in itself was a was everybody goes to eruption and says if you want to know what eddie van halen is listen to this it's a two minute or maybe even less than that rip of him just playing and what he's able to do on the guitar and you hear his finger tapping and you hear his wah-wahs and all of that and the amazing thing about that song was that was the second track on their very first album on Van Halen, Van Halen. And the record label was like, you can't put an instrumental as one of your tracks on the record. It's never going to sell. People aren't going to like it. And Eddie said, basically, bet. And turns out it's probably what he's the most known for. Um, and he proves them wrong, obviously. So... Okay, well, uh, I appreciate everybody kind of listening to me go on and on. And believe me when I tell you, if you ever want to talk Van Halen, man, I could probably talk your ear off for hours and hours. Um, I could tell you stories. I could tell you specific songs. I, I can, you know, I can break them down for you. But one last story I was going to share um, to kind of pay homage if you will or or at least uh get everybody to understand you know just how much i appreciate and loved uh watching van halen and eddie play um my beautiful wife before we were married or maybe we were married 1990 no right before we were married 1995 sorry had to do some math there in my head apologize if she's listening sorry um uh, they were on the balance tour, Van Halen was, and they were came to Denver, and she uh, bought me tickets as kind of a surprise, and it was wonderful because to this point, ironically, I'd never seen them live in concert. I was supposed to go during the David Lee Roth time, but my dad went for his 30th birthday with a whole bunch of people from his work. And I wasn't invited, and I wasn't old enough to get my own tickets. And then, you know, fast forward through the 5150 and OU812 times, I just didn't ever have the means to go see them in Denver. So when Balance came through, I finally had my opportunity to go see them play live. And um, th that was thanks to my wife, Erin. Keep in mind, it's an outdoor concert. Fiddler's Green, Denver, Colorado, and it's September, so who the hell thinks that at the end of September that Denver is going to get like four inches of snow? And lo and behold, that's what happens. And, you know, leading up to the concert, 
there was all this speculation. Are they even going to have it? It's an outdoor show. Can they do it with their electrical equipment? And I'm asking Erin, who I know is just, she's just going for me. She just knows what this means to me. I don't know that she was a huge fan. Maybe probably still isn't. But she knew what it meant to me to go to this concert. Yeah, now are you sure you want to go to this? It could be cold. It could be rainy and gross. It's okay. I, I'll get another opportunity. And she's like, no, we're going to go. And the snow kind of stops before the show. And the band comes out. And pretty much right as they come out on stage, it starts snowing again. And, you know, Sammy and Eddie are kind of joking about whether or not their equipment should be out in the snow and is somebody going to get electrocuted or but they said you know what i have a full stadium here and the stadium was packed despite the snow and they're like as long as you guys are here we're going to fucking play this this show and they did they played for two hours and we sat there through the snow and the freezing rain and we played we sat there through the whole show the only part we missed was two things. We did not stay for the encore because by that point I had seen most everything and we were frozen solid and I had put my poor fiance through enough and wanted her to still marry me later down the road. And they never ended up playing When It's Love. So I never got to see that perform live, which really sucks, but I did get to see Sammy and Eddie play and uh, it's a memory that I'll have for a long long time and it ranks up there as one of my number one concerts that I've ever seen and I've seen quite a few trust me so anyway um, thank you guys for listening thanks for uh, let me ramble and talk a little bit about uh, like I said my love of Van Halen and how much I have always appreciated Eddie and his talents and uh, you know the good thing about the these artists when they leave us is that they leave us with a lot of stuff that never never truly dies so you know they they always say you know you die twice you know when you die and then the last time somebody ever speaks your name and with artists and, uh, and musicians that that Hopefully will rarely ever, ever happen. And as long as I'm around listening to Van Halen, I can assure you that that's never going to happen. And um, I'm sure my girls, when I make them listen to it, like this last couple of days, I've been making my poor youngest daughter, McKenna, listen to um, Sirius XM has Deep Tracks, which is turned into the Eddie Van Halen tribute station for the last few days and I've been making her listen to it all the time and she's a good sport so I appreciate her um I appreciate everybody's time hope everybody enjoys this particular episode I'm going to be putting together some other episodes coming going forward I'm hoping to probably do some more solo stuff I'm going to talk about some different artists that I like some different songs some different um uh, you know albums and stuff still trying to work on getting people to come on the show but that's not proving to be very easy for me so that's okay i want to keep going and putting out some content here and i hope you guys stick around and listen and listen to some of my ramblings so i appreciate everybody 
hope everybody has a great rest of the week and we will see you again soon. Thanks.